Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm so excited to have the guests that I have on today because they are, you know, people who have been working in the plant-based medicine field for quite a long time. And, you know, right now, while a lot of us are at home and, you know, uh, uh, hunkered down, trying to figure out how to live the as best a life as we possibly can, we've now, I think a lot more people have become aware of the fact that some of the medications that we've been taking, especially those that are pharmaceutical medications that are made from chemicals, not necessarily natural products, aren't necessarily the best and safest things that we could be taking. And a lot of people are spending their time doing a little extra research now and recognizing that, you know, there is a world of information out there right now about plant-based medicines, herbs, and things that can help to actually improve your life, especially your well-being. And my guests today are the co-founders of Plant Media Project. It's a boutique marketing company specializing in services for plant medicine and wellness businesses. And they also are the co-hosts of The Vine Podcast, which is aimed at providing an insightful look into the world of plant medicine. Gina Vinsel and Elizabeth Sheldon, thanks so much for joining me today on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you, Thank for you having so us. much for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I want to just start off by maybe letting you give us, you know, uh, the highlights of your journey and what actually got you both into number one, into being medical cannabis patients, but also mm-hmm. into actually studying beyond just cannabis, the world of natural uh, naturally occurring plant medicine out there right now. So let's start, let's start with you, Elizabeth. What, what started your journey? Um, well, in the beginning, <laughs> mm. um, uh, I grew up in a college town, so uh, I definitely smoked cannabis and used uh, mushrooms and LSD. And then as I got, you know, as I got married and had children, that was just really not a part of my life. And then um, Maryland had its medical cannabis uh program. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I want to get a card. So I did so. And there were so many new products and there are so many refinements. And I was like, okay, I remember why I like this. I remember that it makes me feel better. Um, And so, uh, you know, I will tell you more about how we came to know one another, but it is, it's been a journey, a lifelong journey. And now, uh, like you, we want to be warriors to help others have access. Um, and I, I think that our medical programs, we don't have our adult program yet, but really let consumers have a safe experience. Well, I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit about the Maryland program in a minute. And then, Gina, I'm going to also ask you, you're from Pennsylvania. So I'm yeah. going to ask you about the Pennsylvania program because I know that they were both um, put in place multiple years ago, but they have both gone through crazy hurdles trying to at least, you know, find some sort of administrative process to literally get product to patients. But before we talk about the state, let's talk about you, Gina. So when did you first get involved in? Cannabis, number one, and then plant-based education for others. 
Yeah. So I, I pretty much, I never really touched the plant. I had asthma growing up. I thought that if I smoked cannabis, it was going to make it worse. So I really, I didn't touch the plant at all until I was in college and it was really just kind of in a, you know, a party situation. And then I realized that I felt really good after trying it and became a little bit more habitual with it. And then my asthma completely went away. And I felt so much better. Now, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I can tell you that, you know, just by, you know, using this plant, my, my health and wellness just started to feel so much better. I felt better inside my own body. However, it wasn't legal in PA yet. And I was very quiet about my cannabis use as much as I wanted to tell the world that this plant was so amazing and that I wanted to share my experience. I was scared and I didn't know how I could really get out there and talk about it. So at the time, I was really quiet about it. And then I was like, okay, I started to hear some rumblings about how Pennsylvania could maybe move towards being a medical state. And so I immediately got involved with that movement and wanted to be on the ground and be involved with how this was going to happen. And then when our 16 passed, I was able to become a medical patient myself and felt more comfortable to now be able to safely use my voice and share my story and talk about not only my story, but so many of the stories that I learned along the way towards uh, medical um, being legalized here in Pennsylvania. I mean, the stories really came from the mothers of very sick children. And, you know, when you have a big heart and you're listening to these stories, I mean, even if you don't use the plant yourself to see that it's helping so many children, I mean, it was really the mama bears, we call them in in Pennsylvania, that really helped us get this plant to be able to be available to patients in PA. I know I came into Pennsylvania and did quite a bit of lobbying myself in Pennsylvania to try to help you move your initiatives forward. This was years ago. Um, as a matter of fact, I think uh, some of the lobbying efforts that we put forth that week with MPP um, literally got it out of committee and got it into a vote. So I'm glad that we were able to at least help and say, but one of the things that both of you just said that I find very interesting is that your use started long before your states legalized, which now validates the fact that in your states, there were so many other people, not just you, but so many other people who were also using Mm-hmm. Which I find, I mean, does that not bother you now today? I mean, when we when we stop and think about, you know, you look across this great nation of ours, we have 37 states that have already passed, you know, some form of medical or recreational, or we should say adult use mm-hmm. programs. Yet, in some ways, people act like this is something that just happened yesterday. <laughs> and excuse me, I, I, you know, I will date myself for just a second in in, in time, but, you know, I'm I'm a child, I was born in the 50s. And so I remember the kids older than me in the 60s who were smoking a lot of pot. And I didn't start smoking pot until uh, probably early 70s, uh, 70 itself. And um remember distinctly that, yes, though we were a small group that used to hide under the bleachers, we were a pretty big group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that group, grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every single step along the way of my life. Yet right now, when we look to the left and the right, sometimes it seems as if our friends are just afraid to admit what they do. Mm-hmm. You both that find that? Is still there, still very much there. And that's what you know we're trying to do with our podcast. And we appreciate all the work that you do without having these conversations. Those stigmas are going to remain. We have to be out there talking about it to really get people to see why we're so passionate about this and why others should you know really feel comfortable with coming out of the closet and saying that they use these plant medicines to heal themselves. Yeah, and I want to make sure that, you know, our listeners who have tuned in and earlier, you know, Gina talked about the fact that this for her personally and anecdotally affected her personal 
health journey. She's not promoting this to tell you that this is going to change your health journey. She's literally giving you some information to say, look it up, read it, investigate it yourself. Look at some of the stories that have been out there. And I got to tell you, you know, long before this became Vogue, uh, a topic that a lot of people were talking about, you know, I've literally been out there and been public since 2000 and literally testifying and lobbying and, you know, uh, uh, reaching out in states all across this country to make sure that, you know, patients like myself who happen to suffer from MS have access to efficacious medication. Um, and for some of us who have neurological disorders and, you know, we know that the federal government owns the patent on certain cannabinoids mm-hmm. that they have already validated in their patent application how neuroprotective they are. It shocks me, though, that today that people would have the audacity to even open their mouth in a negative way about cannabis. Um, I know that both your states have gone through insane, you know, administrative quagmires trying to move your state voted initiative forward. Uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in, in Maryland, Elizabeth. I mean, because I know that there was a while first off, they they were going to issue licenses, then they pulled them back, then they're issuing them again, then they pulled them back. It's been kind of, uh, you know, this, yeah. this seesaw, right? Yeah, it's been a seesaw. And um, we're in session right now, and that session is up uh, March 18th. And uh, my sources believe that adult use will not be passed this session. Who knows? I mean, you know how this goes. But, um, and I feel that's unfortunate because I think our sister neighbor state, PA, um, you know, is looking like they're going to do it before us. And um, you're right. All of these uh, states have had their issues. And I think it's always about the money, Montel. You know, I, I, it's always about the money and how are we going to change that? So well, it's that- always, always about where the money goes. You, know, you say it's about the money. It's about who's getting a piece of that money. Right. Um, I remember back, let's say, who's your former governor who was a former mayor of Baltimore? Um, uh, I don't know, but we got Hogan now. Yeah, Hogan now. This is, this is now, I go back almost 20 years. I literally uh, had a meeting in your governor's office. Um, with a young a man who was suffering from seizures and other uh, medical maladies. And we went in, and this was when they first, you know, decided to, I think it was that they, they decriminalized cannabis first in the state of Maryland. And um, he was very instrumental in speaking directly to the governor about, you know, what his needs were. And I think that's what helped influence, you know, that the passage of that uh, legislation. But, you know, um, I have had people in Maryland reaching out to me um, almost every five to six months trying to figure out, you know, one, how they can get involved, two, you know, asking me to come in and and do some more lobbying to see if we can change the way the current system is administered. What do you think about your current system in Maryland? I think that um, it's, it's flawed. I mean, in a lot of ways, I have to be thankful that we have uh, a system at all. Um, but once you dig in and, you know, the work that we did trying to build these cannabis lifestyle magazines, you know, I got to know a lot of people and I went to a lot of dispensaries and, um, it, it's hard. The money's hard with 280E and the tax code. 
I do think people, you know, my local dispensaries that I frequent often are like, yeah, we're really busy. You know, the money is coming, but it's not a get rich uh, situation. And I think, you know, in Maryland, there were a group of people that sort of held everything at the top, right? It, it, again, I, I don't know. I wasn't part of it back then. I was working downtown DC and I, I wasn't really paying attention to Maryland, but, um, you know, I've just learned of these iterations and the lawsuits and the gyrations and are we going to have the MSOs? Can they come in? Can they buy us? And then all these sort of ways of getting around it where there are these, you know, management agreements. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not being very linear, but, um, they're, they're just a lot of things in flux. And I think with adult use, we have to decide, okay, who's going to oversee that? Do the medical uh, licenses, do they get first right of refusal? Um, and how, how do we roll that out in a safe way? And the social equity thing is, I mean, we're going to have to have some sort of governing body. Nobody's going to do that out of the goodness of their heart. You know, we're human beings and it's just not going to happen. We're going to well, have. Well, I mean, we can recognize the fact that this has probably been the only recession-proof industry in America, mm-hmm. um, almost uh, nationally. You know, most of the cannabis outlets are um, making more this year and last year through COVID than they did the year before. Absolutely. Uh, more home delivery, more usage. People are going in and purchasing larger purchases at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um and at the same time, we've seen some alcohol use going down, which I think is a good thing. There's no reason why, um, you know, that shouldn't happen. So, uh, Gina, what, tell me a little bit about Pennsylvania. Well, we had something just exciting happen because, unfortunately, up until this point, we've had a lot of really good uh, adult use legalization bills get um to our state government, they just, you know, we can't get any bipartisan support. You know, it's all coming from the Democratic side and none of the Republicans were really giving any support until now. We now have um, uh, Senator Lachlan from Erie, Pennsylvania, just co-authored a bill with Senator Street out of Philadelphia. Um, and this adult use legalization bill um, we're hoping is going to have some of that bipartisan support necessary for us to hopefully move forward. Now, right now in the state, the Department of Health runs the medical program. So under the exact same thing Elizabeth says, will that remain the same? There has been all this kind of discussion about whether or not, you know, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board runs all of our spirits and wine, all of those stores and kind of running it kind of under that kind of model or potentially even under that, which I really don't think is a good idea. I think that there needs to be a specified, you know, overseeing committee for all the reasons that Elizabeth mentioned. But I know that we, you know, in the mid-Atlantic region, I mean, we all are there together in this idea of like how it's going to be affected with interstate commerce and with New Jersey just legalizing. And we know that New York just above us. So I think that thinking of things not only just so statewide, but regionally is going to be really important because I think the governors need to really work together here and say, let's help me ensure that we can grow, you know, these I mean, cannabis is going to make a lot of money for our state and PA. We know that we're in a lot of trouble and this could really help the tax dollars. And if we can do this in a safe way and we can write, you know, the the laws in a way that will help everyone in Pennsylvania and not just these large multiple state operators that actually give the farmers and some small business owners a chance to get involved, that would be fantastic. And also... You know, we have a lot of big companies that are coming in and making a lot of money, but there's still a lot of people sitting in jail over the same plant. And I think that that needs to be taken care of right away before we talk about anything else. 
Yeah, and I think you, you nailed it when you talk about that corridor right there on the East Coast. You know, Delaware did pass, right? Did they not? Has Delaware passed? Uh, Rhode Island, I want to say. Rhode Island. Rhode Island, yeah. Okay, so you've got Rhode Island, you've got mm-hmm. New York that's got a medical program, you have New Jersey that now has adult use, you have Pennsylvania that has medical, you have Maryland that has medical, you know, so that's right up that corridor. You can go and actually get anything you want. And you go north of that, you've got Massachusetts, you know, you've got Connecticut, um, so, yeah, and Maine. So, you know, you do have quite a bit of cannabis along one stretch of the United States. And everybody going to be fighting for their share of that revenue one way or the other. Um, is the is the lobby effort well uh, supported in Pennsylvania? I think so. I mean, we're we're trying. We're going to have on April 20th a big march in, in Harrisburg, you know, for legalization. And, you know, the, the part is now that the bill that is out there is um, only home grow for patients up to five plants. And, you know, there's still a lot of lobbying efforts that everyone should have access to be able to grow plants, not just patients. So there's kind of some kind of mix between, you know, kind of those that are lobbying about whether or not we want to fully get behind this bill that looks really great otherwise, but, you know, without that ability for everyone to home grow. Right. I guess because if, if you're talking about adult use and you're saying, but adult use only medically, that's not really adult use. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of an odd thing. And, you know, I mean, and, and I've, I've always been a proponent of the fact that I think majority of people who choose cannabis over alcohol have come to the table for a medical reason anyway, one that they may not even recognize themselves, whether it be just yeah. relaxation, anxiety, you know, to feel better. There's an underlying medical reason why people are involved. Both of you are, are parents, are you not? Mm-hmm. Are we are? So, I mean, how is is it tough for you to be able to explain to kids this is what mommy does for a living? <laughs> <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. So I'll start. I'm quite a I'm quite a bit older than Gina. And so my children are when I got my medical card, I was very open that I was getting it and they were in high school. Um, And now my son's getting ready to graduate from the uh, Naval Academy in Annapolis. Congratulations. And my daughter's in New York. And so I'd like to say, you know, they're out on their own. They're just fine, even though their mother uses cannabis. I think that it's different. Gina has, you know, a smaller child. I do believe that um, we have to, as parents, tell the story, explain that it's medicine, that, you know, when you get older, it may or may not be right for you, but we want your brain to fully form before we start putting other things in there. And, you know, when you have permission from a doctor or from your parents, I mean, I wish that's the way it would go, right? If, if you have permission from
from an adult and you're, I don't know what you guys think the age should be, but is it 16, 18? I think 21 is, I think it's got to be 18 or, or under. Um, so I, I, um, I didn't have that small child. So it's easy for me to say in hindsight what I would yeah. do. <laughs> How about you, Gina? Yeah, so my daughter's seven. And, you know, I asked her this question. So I wanted to get like just straight up. Let's let's just see what she says. So I said, Giovanna, what is cannabis? And she said, well, mommy, cannabis is a plant that's used for medicine. And, you know, that's just the way I want her to understand it. She knows it's good enough for our dog to take some CBD. And she may only think that all cannabis is CBD at this point, but I'm okay with that. You know, for now, we can start sure. talking more about all the cannabinoids and getting into that when she's ready to learn that. But right now she knows that mommy's job is about helping people find information about how they can heal. How can yes. they get better? And is that what brought the two of you? How did the two of you meet? You're in two different states. You're, you know, a couple hundred miles apart. So how did how did you even connect? I'm going to let you know. You want me to tell it? it I want you to tell. He wants me to tell it. Well, it's, it's really that, you know, Elizabeth and I met because we both wanted a cannabis lifestyle magazine in our hometown. So we started working for the same company and started going on all these, you know, conference trips together, attending all these cannabis conferences, going to all these meetings, and instantly doing all of these these things together, we became really good friends. And just from talking to each other about advertising marketing, we knew that just how different it was between our two states, that even though we were so close and near to one another, that the laws and everything were so different, how we can market and advertise the companies were so different. So we got kind of fascinated with that differentiation and how all the states were really like running their, their marketing program so differently. And so when COVID hit, we actually lost our magazines and it was really a difficult time as was for so many people um, that suffered lots of different losses um, when COVID you know, really impacted us. We took a step back and we knew that we wanted to do something. We knew we wanted to pivot and we wanted to work together, but we just kind of thought that maybe after this collective conscious, you know, pretty much a collective trauma rather that people are feeling together dealing with this pandemic, that maybe we could focus our efforts on not just cannabis, but more broader plant medicines, because we know there's a mental health crisis in this country. And we want to make sure that the needs of people are different. And there are different plant and higher medicines that can help people with PTSD and other traumas. So we felt that we could utilize the information that we've learned and the work that we did in cannabis. And now start this new company where we could work on educating and advocacy around all plant medicines at the same time, helping businesses, not only in cannabis, but in the psychedelic space safely and compliantly market their companies. Now you work, you work not only in cannabis, psychedelic space, you also work in like herbs, uh, herbal space also, like with things like ashwagandha and things like that, rhodiola. Oh, well, not the ashwagandha, but ayahuasca. <laughs> ayahuasca you do okay so again those are psychedelics but you know ashwagandha is is just an herb that has been around for well, four or five thousand years and man has used to help relax and things like that you don't work on any of those things i um, have taken ashwagandha but we we are not in that particular space gotcha. well, 
learn more about that and would love to have conversations about those sorts of things on our podcast because that's what we've really been using our show for is just like we want to learn about a lot of the stuff and we know that there's so many people out there that are curious like we are to really like learn about how we can use you know plant-based medicines to for all different sorts of reasons and ways that they can help us there are so many it's just like i don't know if you know or have you done any study on looking at adaptogen adaptogen herbs have you heard that term? Adaptogen, there are adaptogen vitamins, and that's where the radiola, ashwagandha, shashandra, those are non-euphoric plants. This is an herb, you know, like the St. John's wort, kind of an herb, kind of a thing that uh, I say kind of, don't call me now, ashwagandha is not St. John's wort. I know it's not. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's in that category of those other herbs that are out there that a lot of people don't know a lot about that have been used medicinally for thousands of years that actually elicit responses that, you know, now modern day medicine is starting to finally understand um, mm-hmm. and starting to put into practice. And lots of people are adding them. You'll, you'll start to see, if you just watch some of the advertisements right now, you'll see you know, sleep concoctions that have ashwagandha and ashwagandha in it that, um, you know, and then you'll see things that are for calming and, and wellness, rhodiola. You'll start to see these terms and go, where did that come from? Well, that's been around for thousands of years. We're just now catching up. But again, you're focusing more on, uh, I shouldn't say euphoric, but more on- Higher medicines, we call Higher it. medicines. Higher medicines. <laughs> That's the term because, you know, ketamine and and some of the other things that are helpful aren't necessarily plant, um, but it's it's about wellness and, and well-being. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and we're, you know, we also are finding out that, you know, what was old is new again or what was thought is something different now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, even even um, some of the drugs in the 50s that were being used for you know, extremely different things are now recycling and being used for something else now. And we're starting to find out that they are a benefit. But when it comes to plants, you know, we're looking at the entire spectrum of psychedelics. Now, do you do a lot of writing on psychedelics yourselves? We do. This is this is something that we have been, um, it's become almost like an obsession. We're just like, there's so much to unlock and learn in this space and just the amount of research that's going on. I mean, Johns Hopkins, right, in Elizabeth's backyard. I mean, it's like doing such amazing work. And we it just is fascinating to see just the types of responses that, that these studies are finding. I mean, specifically around psilocybin. I mean, when it's tied to, you know, helping people with depression, I mean, these studies are showing that it's four times more effective than anti depressants. So, I mean, this is massive news. I mean, any scientist that sees 400%, they're like, well, again, when we say a number like that, and that is being proven in some of the double blind studies and studies that they are, they're, they're conducting right now, but we have to explain the, the 400% around that. And then there's, uh, you know, I did a podcast recently where I was able to talk to a person who was very, very, very well steeped in psychedelics. And, you know, one of the things is that we're starting to find out that one size doesn't fit all for everyone. So mm. those who are tuned in and listening right now, we're talking about psychedelics. Don't go running out saying I'm going to end my my depression if I go, you know, eat a bag of mushrooms. No, 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 no. That's not exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, we're seeing science that is, you know, studying microdosing. We're seeing science that is studying, you know, pretty large doses that will elicit, you know, a, a, you know, out of body experience. Then, then you are 
basically guided through that entire experience with a professional that helps you interpret that experience, that helps you then come out the other end, achieving the result that you wanted to achieve. And that may be, you know, lessening your PTSD, that may be, you know, forgetting a traumatic event that happened in your younger years. Uh, but we're also finding that, um, you know, in the micro, micro dose level, uh, you know, some of the psychi- psych- psychotropics um, literally help to put people who are, clinically depressed in a normal state. I find Listen, I, I'm working towards that end. I, I will say I, since uh, my postpartum depression 26 years ago, I'm still on the same SSRI. Mm. And I asked the doctor today, I said, I want to go off this. It's only 10 milligrams. And she's like, it will affect you. Don't oh, when you're trying to launch these businesses and this is not the time to do it, I'm like, okay, well, when is, <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially if you've been on them for as long as you have, but that, it's, going to take, it's going to take a while for your body to allow your, you know, cells to kind of shake it off a little bit. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen reports that, you know, SSRIs are, are actually leach into the bone matter in our body. So if they're in your bone and we know that it, it takes approximately 15 to 17 years for you to actually completely replace all your bone cell, that means that you are leaching that back out into your blood as you void it over a 17 year period of time. Hmm. Very wow. interesting. And that's why there's, there's been a lot of research talking about things like heroin and opioids do the same thing. They actually kind of leach into your bone matter. So their bone cells carry traces of that for a long period of time. And most people don't know, you know, for you, you know, we, we live our lives not knowing that, you know, our cells are replacing themselves constantly, constantly, constantly. But, you know, our skeletal system takes about 15 to 17 years to replace itself. And that's just in a very, very fine amount of it leaches off and very fine amount regrows and very fine amount. Well, as that leaches off, some of that leaches off with a little bit of the remnant of that opioid still in it. Got it. Well, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. I'm hoping, you know, that it'd be, you know, in that 15, 20, 25 year mark. So I don't know. What does one do? Just continue on so that I don't feel the big drop. I'm definitely going to try ketamine and, and I, we, uh, the microdosing I'm, I'm trying to, I find it a little difficult to work, um, microdosing during the day, but anyway, right. uh, yeah, but again, you know, then you're going to find all over the world, there are clinics and places or do you guys report on any of those in your mag in your, uh, your podcast? Some of the clinics that are opening up around the world. Yeah, and we've had some some of the folks too, because you touched quickly on, and I want to make sure that that I mention this when we talk about psychedelics and higher medicines, we are talking about them in a medicinal way, and we're talking very much about the therapies that go along with it and the integration post using it. You know, we we we're centering all of this education around hearing it from the experts themselves and in a controlled environment, controlled environment, and helping share that information because what could happen like it did in, you know, the sixties is if it's now just everyone's just, you know, doing all these things and not doing the integration, they're going to shut down all of these studies again. And we could find ourselves in the same thing. So we have to be really cautious and careful with these medications. We need to think of them in a very serious way. They can have some amazing results, 
but it comes with a lot of hard work. I mean, people have to be willing to really dive deep and say, you know, I want to face these, especially if it's tied to trauma or PTSD, you know, I, I'm going to face these hard traumas, use the plant medicine, do the hard work and, and, and have that integration. And then that can be the tool that it needs, but not, yeah, definitely not just like taking a whole bunch of mushrooms and thinking you're going to go off on your own. Yeah. We are not we, saying that. We got to make sure people understand that we're talking about if you want to venture down that path, you're venturing down that path in a controlled setting with a control, with a, a, a person who is at least licensed or, or knowledgeable enough about how to take you on that journey, not trying to take you on that journey by yourself. And we're finding that there are a lot of people that are that are getting very knowledgeable about this, that are willing to help others, willing to give their time. Um, there's all sorts of integration coaches that we've been speaking to, people that are working on other aspects like breath work to really incorporate all of this. Like how can you utilize med meditation and the plant medicines and healthy foods and really create, you know, your sweet spot? Like how's that, your diet, your exercise, how can all of that come together? And it's individualized for each person. And we're certainly not going to tell any person how they should live their life. But if we ask a lot of hard questions to a lot of people, people we want to give this information and get it out there so that people can really learn it and find out if it can apply to their life. And then hopefully give access to the right types of people that they can contact themselves to get even more information or answers. Well, how have you guys noticed that COVID has impacted your business? How about you, Elizabeth, in Maryland? Well, I, I mean, Maryland is pretty shut down. And um I, it, and we lost our, our magazines, um, we just couldn't produce them anymore. Um, so, and, and that was two years of work in the industry and, um, you know, without an income. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a bounce back, you know, um, we, you have to keep moving one foot in front of the other. Um, but yeah, Maryland, I have to say, is, is still is is still pretty shut down, and um, there are a lot of businesses suffering. Right, as a regular entire country. How about you, Gina? Well, so it's also pretty shut down. It's starting to slowly open back up. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you know, I also had an events have an events business, but. It's just not where it was, you know, I'd say a couple of years ago. I mean, we're some smaller curated events are going to be popping back this year. But, you know, really, the business thrived off of large food and drink festivals and massive events that would happen in stadiums and big events. And none of those are really coming back this year. So, you know, coupled with losing the magazine and then having this successful events business for 15 years, pretty much just come to a complete standstill we looked at each other like, well, we ought to do something. I mean, it, we, it, we, we had built all this momentum. We were working so hard. And, and quite frankly, in the cannabis space, you feel like if you take your toe out for one second, things move so fast and there's so many things changing that, you know, you can, you, all that work we put into it could be gone. And so we really took that time, you know, where we normally, I would have been so busy with events and, and, and we were traveling, going to all these conferences. And then all of a sudden it's quiet and everyone's just oh. home, on zoom. And it's right. like, what do we do? You know, so we started hosting these like free online workshops for people to come and like learn about these plant medicines. We started the podcast. We started doing email newsletters. We started an online Facebook group, you know, just to share information and just kept ourselves really busy and in, in, in tuned in that way. And then during that time, use that as a way to really 
find this, found this new business and do that. But I'll tell you, I want the events to come back so badly, but I just really don't think that we're going to see at least the large scale concerts and festivals come back in this year, at least not in the way that the industry, the events and entertainment industry needed to be. Well, I think in some ways, I mean, it kind of seems to me, I think that we may be a little shocked at how much this full year is going to change humanity. Um, you know, I, I think that when you say is it going to come back, I, I don't know if we'll ever come back to where it was before. I think, you know, um, though there are lots of people who say that they really would love to be back at doing the festivals and be back out there and crowd, but there's a lot of people saying, I don't feel like, you know, now that I think back at it, I didn't have much fun at that anyway. I mean, there are some. I know some people who have said to me, I've, I've heard them say, you know, it's really weird. I used to think back, I'll give you an example. I went to um, uh, Old Cella, you know, uh, the Coachella event. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where they had all the the old rock bands playing at. And I don't, gosh, it must have been 60,000, 70,000 people. And I remember when I left that, you know, after being there for a whole weekend and, and attending at least three concerts and spending time in his big house with a whole bunch of other fam friends and family. It was probably about 20 people living together in this big compound, um, eating dinners and, you know, hanging out together. And it, it took me a week to recover from number one, being out on this field where all this dirt was being kicked up by people walking and didn't realize, you know, how much I was breathing in, even though I had on face mask and was creating eye covers. Um, you know, I can, it took me a week to recover. And when it was all over, I said, I really didn't have that much fun. To be absolutely honest with you, I thought I did at the time, but now that I look back at it, really wasn't that much fun. So that's something I'm not going to again. I'm, I'm done. That's it. I don't need that. You know, um, do I need to go to a, a movie theater? Hell yeah. Would I like to go to a concert? Mm, eh, maybe one of a more intimate setting. I'm not necessarily, I, my last big concert with me, I think it was Aretha Franklin. And, um, you know, I was somewhere midway, you know, on the floor. I didn't want to sit. I hate sitting up too close anyway because I just don't want to be blasted by the sound. But I remember I was maybe in the in the theater. This was a Radio City Music Hall. And in the middle of the theater, you know, I thought about it and I thought, hmm, you know, I really wish I had seen her in a small blues club instead. So I don't know. Maybe it's because it'd be my age. I don't think so, because I know people of, of multi-generations who have said the same thing. That now that they have had to reassess what fun is, mm -hmm. some of the things and the ways that we presented it weren't as much fun as we thought. So now maybe it's up to us to try to figure out what the new version of fun is, right? I agree. And I think it's going to be small and curated for at least for now. You know, like just like you said, I imagined you know, that jazz club, that intimate setting. And that's where I want to be. You know, I, I don't know if I, you know, even as an events producer, want to be a part of some of those massive ones. I mean, the money's much better in the massive ones, I'll tell you. But sure. at the end of the day, I was at the point last year looking at how am I, how am I supposed to keep my staff safe? We're, we're going to be, you know, at a food festival. How are people going to take their masks down to eat the, I mean, I, and I, I looked up all the different plans. I looked at everything and it just felt unsafe and it didn't feel good in my heart. And I had to say, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And then of course the States just started shutting everything down pretty much at that point. And so it really wasn't up to any of the producers or anybody 
everything shut down. So I think that people are going to be definitely yearning for community and yearning for ways to get together. But I think it's going to look different and it's going to be more curated. Like if you have a certain thing that you love, like if we're talking about cannabis and maybe there's like a, a an event that's, you know, uh, an artist and a, and a musician and a, and a setting with like a cannabis speaker and it's all fine curate the people that would be there all in the same industry or they're there for the same reasons because the big massive I agree. I think it's going to look different after this. You know, with that on that note, think in terms of cannabis itself. Now, you know, a year ago, you know, you probably would not have hesitated to go to a friend's house and they spark up a joint, pass it to you, and you take it. And but nobody's passing joints between each other anymore. Mm-hmm. People are smoking their own and taking the joint out and giving that joint to their friends. Say, so you can have that one. I'll do this one. <laughs> so, right. you know, and this is a very social. You know, um, event. I mean, we think about sharing cannabis. Cannabis has always been something that to go back to the peace pipes, you know, which was peyote, but still go back to peace pipes and people pass the pipe from one to another. I don't see that happening as much anymore, even if, you know, tomorrow we say that we're at herd immunity. I think I think you're right, too. I really do. And I know that that's a huge industry too. I mean, that the pretty much like all the cannabis consumption events that we're starting in the adult use legal states. I mean, we were at one about a year ago in Palm Springs. That was incredible. And it was great. It is community. All the brands know one another. That's where business deals happen. That's, you know, where those relationships are made and, you know, where people meet their future investors. I mean, those are the parties and the gatherings that really matter to the industry. And so I did see that MJ BizCon announced that they are coming back in Vegas in October. So, you know, there's an event that looks like five football fields worth of booths. I mean, it's the most massive, you know, cannabis conference. What's that going to look like? Will people really go? Will all the amount of brands participate? It's going to be, will we go? I don't know. <laughs> you know, right. so, you know, it's just like, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how this all, you know, changes. And just a quick thought. I mean, here I'm talking to two ladies in in this industry, but you know, and, and Elizabeth, you brought it up earlier when you you mentioned you know the equity program in Maryland. In Maryland, we've noticed that you know the equity programs across the country have been really just I think just you know lip service rather than true equity programs because we know that I guess women make up less than seven eight percent of this entire industry. People of color make up less than ten percent of this entire industry. Um, what do you think is going to help either number one change or how are we going to improve women's representation in the cannabis industry? I think, unfortunately, because I, I thought about this too, about being old, like they're going to have to be some mandates. I, I, I just, what I don't like big government, you know, but we're not doing it on our own. We're going to have to say, you know what, you're going to have to have, people that are X number of people that are 65 and older that work for you. And you're going to have to have X number of women, X number of people of color. I I don't know. Um, I want, tell me a a better way. (laughs) Do you you guys have a lot of women reaching out to you, asking you for information or help on how to get involved? I think uh, we've connected with a lot of women. I think that women tend to, in this industry, there's not as many as you said. So we're involved in a lot of these. I mean, I'm, Facebook groups, um, clubhouse chats, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of women that are in the industry. They're just not in leadership positions. They haven't been able to get to the top of the industry. And so what I think is, you know, it's uncomfortable to sit and have any conversation um, with a bunch of, you know, executives that want to talk about diversity and inclusion and have no women or people of color in the room. 
So, I mean, it has to really, it's, you know, look to the people that are on your staffs, look to the people in your communities that are, that are really leaders. They're just not being given the opportunity to be at the top and have a seat at the table to make these decisions. So I would personally like to see that more of these companies that are coming up with these, you know, social media campaigns to say how much they care about diversity and inclusion to admit how many people they actually have on their board of directors or in sitting at the top of their company that are making the most money at their company. Um, how many of those are actually women or people of color? And that's what I'm seeing very limited of. So it's great that people are getting behind and they're creating these campaigns and we want it. We want there to be more discussion about it. It's something that we need to change, but it shouldn't just be some marketing ploy. It should be something that companies are really taking an internal look on and trying to do something about. This is probably talking about marketing play, but what's next for Plant Media Project? What's next for the two of you? Well, we hope that we'll be continuing to explore how this psychedelics space is going to um, just unfold, especially as, you know, more people are being open to trying some alternative medicines like how um, MAPS has the MDMA trials right now and, and you know, psilocybin getting so much attention. So I think we really plan on, on tapping in and making sure that we're educating people and bringing in as many of the experts in the psychedelics field and really keeping our eye on how adult use legalization is not only going to unfold in our respective states, but really what this could look like nationwide and how that's going to impact not only all of the businesses, but how it can impact patients as well. And I think too, Montel, you know, as two women, we, you know, different ages um, come at it differently. It's like, okay, we're, we're pretty normal um, people in the eye of society. I, I think it's like, um, you know, we have children, we, we, you know, had to put, food on the table and make money. And, um, Hey, it, it's not so scary. It, it, it's, it's a conversation that we should all have. And like you said, it's, it's connecting through cannabis is such a wonderful experience with someone, right? When you find out, Oh, somebody else, okay, let's, let's go share this or whatever. I'll give you one and I'll have mine. Um, that, yeah, it, it, it makes the world a, a more mellow place. When I did some work with universities, they, they'd they say, you know, we'd much rather deal with kids that are high rather than kids that are drinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's, there is this uh, piece about this plant and this, and the way it brings us all together. And um, I mean, that's the part I love about it. I, I also, you know, Gina and I, say to people who want to get into it, you know, make sure you know who you're getting in bed with because a lot of, there are a lot of smoke and mirrors. I've never seen so many smoke and mirrors in my entire career. And I've worked in politics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of politics, let's, let's talk a little bit about that for just a second. I mean, you know, you have a president who, uh, president who's been elected now and a first, uh, sorry, a vice president who both campaigned on this idea of, you know, they're one of the first things that they were going to do when they get in office is figure out how to decriminalize. What do you think about the whole idea of decriminalization rather than descheduling first? And number two, what do you really think that this administration is going to do? Because now it's been three months and you have not heard a peep, mm-hmm. not a peep. Let's remember, let's remember that under the vice president, when they were the attorney general, arrests were at its highest in California, especially for people of color when it came to cannabis. So, 
And we also remember that this president, six months before elected, was said, said, came out of his mouth that cannabis was still a gateway drug. Excuse mm-hmm. me. So mm-hmm. what do you think politically we may see in the next year? I'm, I was going to ask you uh, later, d- does everyone have to die in this generation for these things to change? Is that what it is? Because um, it, it just seems to be at a stalemate. There's so much talk and very little action. And I really appreciate hearing from, you know, an industry expert like you, like, okay, yeah, we wanted to get you in office, but where are you now, people? You know, that's important to ask those questions. Okay. Well, that's part of the problem, though. But part of the problem is that you know, those who need to ask a question don't hold those accountable for what they had to say. Right. You know, and we're we're and and you know uh, we're faced with you know this dire chasm that's been you know developed in this nation between one side and the other side, and we never really try to address the issue at hand. And the true issue at hand is the fact that, you know, we've got a large percentage of this country who feel disenfranchised for no reason whatsoever. Let's remember, on the 6th of uh, February, those who busted the doors and kicked in windows at the Capitol were carrying joints. One of the things that one of the police officers said, they had never smelled that much cannabis even at a rock concert. Is that right? I did not know that oh, much. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of those people were smoking and smoking and nobody's talking about that at all. Yeah. And, wow. you know, we, also, we, don't, we don't even hold, you know, Hollywood accountable. No, we don't. And you, you know it. what? You're exactly right. We don't. And when are we going to? Aren't we a government about the people for the people and the people have spoken? I, I just, yeah, the disconnect. It's like my father said to me when I went to work in politics, he's like, okay, it's your generation's turn. And I I'm like, okay, I did the best I could do. Now, is it the next generation's turn? Like, when are these things going to change? Do people just have to literally, including myself, maybe I, you know, do we have to be gone for there to be change? I'm I'm hoping that, you know, the what you guys are doing and what I'm trying to do, and that's messaging and messaging, messaging. I think one of the, the biggest reasons why we are where we are right now is because of lack of information. And unfortunately, we live in a time when, you know, science is less believed than anything else. I mean, when you, when you think about uh, this president who got in the office who said that we're going to let the science lead the way. Really? You're going to let the science lead the way? Let the science lead the way when it comes to cannabis. Let the science lead the way when it comes to, you know, um, uh, the, the other plant-based medicines that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Science is now starting to prove that the efficaciousness of cannabis in a myriad of illnesses, and we're also proving you know, the same thing when it comes to psychedelics. And yet they won't listen to that science. That's science that uh, for some reason is going to go right over the head. So I appreciate you calling out. Please keep calling it out because I don't know what what it will take. It's like, you know, I mean, I guess some people say we get the government we deserve. You know, we elected these officials, but I I think some act on their own accord not in accordance to what their constituents want, at least around cannabis anyway. Well, I think but, but one of the biggest problems with cannabis is that too many of the constituents keep their mouths shut. Right. You still have too many people afraid to say, I do. Well, yeah. And if you do, you do. Job. Right. Because, I mean, 
it's because of the stigma. You're right. I figure at this point, nobody can hurt me anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I figure I, my thought is that, you know, the reason why we've had so many uh, bills pass across this country is because, you know, we finally do have a generation in office that remembers, hey, you know, I remember my friend Steve who was smoking a joint under the bleachers back in 1970, and he just ran a successful business for 40 years. So those are the people that are now starting in legislation that can actually make some decisions, but we just need more of them to start making the right decision. Mm-hmm. We do. We do. We do. And not just tweet about it and try to do a hashtag about it and pretend like you actually care because people remember. I mean, as soon as like, you know, the administration flip flops on, you know, their topics on this. I mean, the entire cannabis industry already knows it. It's already been out there. We see what's going on. And, you know, I will, I will give it that little tiny bit of the benefit of the doubt that I know that we're trying to roll out these vaccines right now. And that maybe that can take priority. I know that some, you know, pushback has been like, let's worry about that first, but that was, I think a hundred day plan, right? So day 101, let's have cannabis be at the top of that agenda. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, though we can, you know, again, that whole that weird saying about we can walk and chew gum at the same time, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We do know that there's recent research that has just come out that's proven that, you know, cannabis has an anti-inflammatory effect uh, for the COVID virus in the lungs. This has now been proven through, you know, a peer-reviewed double-blind study, you know, written document. Yet, nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. And again, you, know, you, you know, we're all hunkered down at home watching Netflix and watching Hulu and watching Prime. Mm-hmm. But, you know, tell me, what's what Prime, Hulu, or Netflix show do you see when people come on, the star comes in, walks in the door and grabs a joint, lights it up and just sits down on the couch and doesn't say anything about it? You see them all come in and pour a, a large shot glass of some brown liquor and everybody's walking around banging down brown liquor and nobody says anything about it. So why can't we include these images that are truthful images of what people, the way people are living? Absolutely. I love that. I, I really cannabis that. has been deemed essential. I always keep thinking this, this was a pandemic. It's now deemed essential business. Correct. Come on. Now. That. <laughs> that right there by itself is one of the biggest statements made by a government, any government about, you know, cannabis, yet no one echoes it. And in all the states that have seen their share of tax revenue go up, none of them are applauding where it's coming from. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, ladies, I can't say thank you enough for being a partner. Oh, Let's be brought today. I mean, you know, the Vine, tell people where they got to go to get the Vine, make sure. Yeah, you can follow us at plantmediaproject.com to learn all about our podcast. We have lots of um, information on there, our upcoming events, and you can sign up for our newsletter to learn more. Okay. And the Vine is on all the podcasting services? Yep. Well, there you go. So, I want to make sure people reach out and, you know, find Gina Vinzel and Elizabeth Sheldon, find the two of you. Make sure that uh, keep doing the good work that you're doing. And anytime you want a home and you want to come back here to Let's Be Blunt, you're both invited together or individually. What's your way you do? Thank you. Thanks so much for all that you do for the community and for these honest discussions and for bringing people together. We appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. All right. We're out of time. So make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.